The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Well, we are going through a series of Romans, and we've got as far as Romans chapter 5, but you know what? This week's been a bit of a challenging week. Challenging, different week. I should say different rather than challenging. I've had uh, Charlotte, Dan, Ezra, and Isla staying at our house because they're having some work done on their house. So it just means it's different, you know? It's just different. The pathway across my lounge is slightly more, you know, because there's toys and that on the floor. It's slightly different. But one of the things I've been able to watch this week, I've been able to catch up on some Christmas movies. Well, actually, not just catch up on Christmas movies. I haven't seen the film Elf for a long, long while. This week... I've seen it five times. <laughs> five times, and I'm sure that Ezra later on today will say, Grandpa, shall we watch Elf? And I shall say, yes, why not? Let's sit down and watch Elf. And you know what? It, it's funny. I mean, the film is funny, obviously, and it's, it's, worth, it's, it's a, a pleasant little Christmas movie. So if you haven't seen it, then it, I, you know, I can recommend it. Um, and, uh, but the thing that I notice is that having heard it, having seen it, having seen it, having seen it, the repeat factor actually does something to you. Because it's repeat, okay, I'm familiar with this. But actually, as you go through it again, you say, well, I hadn't noticed that. And then as you go through it again and again, you say, well, oh, you can see how things are laid out. And obviously, after you've seen it more and more and more times, you actually start being able to quote what they're going to say. But what I've noticed is there's something about repeat which is putting it deeper and deeper inside of you. And you know what, as I was thinking about Elf, and not too much about Elf, I was reflecting back on what I'm supposed to be talking about, which is Romans. I noticed that Paul does exactly the same thing. He actually lays out the scripture, lays out the gospel, and it's not that he completely repeats himself word for word, but he is repeating the message throughout what we've been looking at so far, so that he is getting across the understanding. It's almost like, I think in the back of his mind, he said, I really want these people to understand what this is all about. That's what he seems to be doing. So this guy, Paul himself, as you, as you know, or even if you don't know, Paul was a Jew and he was of this group of the Pharisees, so really into Judaism, really strict in what he was doing, read the Old Testament very, very carefully, understood it, knew it. This guy, Paul, actually, he was so zealous for the things that he found written in the Old Testament that he was anti-Christian. Distinctly anti-Christian. In those early days, Christians were called people of the way because they were following the way of Jesus Christ. And Paul, as this Pharisee, was against those who were following the way. So much so that he actually wanted to lock them up and get them in jail. And he had been doing this and he was on his way to Damascus to go and get some more people like that. I was going to adjust it slightly. To get some more people. And uh, it was on the way to Damascus that this bright light came upon him and he encountered the risen Jesus. Well, hang on. He had been going around saying, this guy, Jesus, he, no way is he the Messiah. Now he meets him and this encounter 
transforms, and that word is correctly used, transforms his life. Immediately, he goes out and starts proclaiming to the Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. And immediately he goes around telling everybody, listen, if you need, you need to get your lives sorted out, you need to come to know him because he is the one you need to follow. So there was an immediate transformation. And Paul, as he goes on in life, because that's early on in his, his, his life, later on he comes to write this letter, comes to write this letter to the Romans, and he's writing to a group of Christians in Rome, and some of them have a Jewish background like he had, some of them had a completely non-Jewish background, they were Gentiles. Uh, there were all sorts of different people. Some were rich, some were poor. But a whole group of people. And he is writing to them and he wants them to know everything that he has learnt. He wants them to understand completely what this message of salvation is all about. Why you need it, why it's important. And all the legal terms and stuff that go with everything. He wants to give it all, this full account to these people in Rome. And so that's really what we've been looking at. And three things I've noticed about this letter, that Paul is detailed, deliberate, and dedicated. Paul is detailed, deliberate, and dedicated. Detailed in this letter in that he writes a very full account of how people can be saved, of how God has worked that salvation, and not only just how he's worked it, but he actually goes back to right at the very beginning of time, right from Adam, God has been at work to bring salvation to every man, woman, and child on the planet. And he is still at work today. Praise God for that. He is very detailed, is Paul. He's very deliberate. He doesn't want a soft soap around anything. He cuts to the chase. He makes sure that people understand what all this is about. He is confronting his own Jewish traditions. And you know what it's like when you want to confront something? There's a degree in which you've got to step out and you've got to be bold. He is bold. He is deliberate. He confronts these traditions, these customs, so that everyone can have a full understanding of what God has done. And he's dedicated, he is particularly dedicated to get this message that God has come with his salvation to as many people as he can. And you know, that passion of his is seen, as is written in Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 22 to 23, where Paul says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... I might save some. That's what he said. And you know what? We're going out on the doors today, and it's not how I'm going to become like all things to all people. I'm going to become somebody who's prepared to go to your door with a leaflet to say, God loves you. Yeah, is that what we're doing? Yeah, basically, that is all we're doing. Why? Because nobody can come to God unless, unless, nobody can come to Jesus unless God is drawing them. We're just merely saying, hey, we're advertising the fact. But you know what? God does move on people's lives. You know how I know that? Because he's moved in our lives. Because there was a time when we can look back in our own lives and say, wow, you know what? God touched my life. He drew me to himself. He began a work. And he who has begun a work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of his coming. Uh, as we've been looking through Romans, and as you notice, I'm repeating. Why am I repeating? Do you remember the film Elf? Well, you haven't seen it, but I've seen it so many times 
is getting into my mind. Not that I'm going to speak to you about Elf, but that's what Paul is doing. He's repeating. So we're repeating it. Why? Because as we repeat this message, and as we look back again at what he has done, it's sinking in. Oh, yes, I remember that. Because you see, when we pick up the book of Romans and read it, and you've got Paul with all of his legal language there, it gets a bit tough. So what we're trying to do is that, what is the message he's getting across? We want to anchor that in our minds. Key verses that we've seen so far. Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You know what? The world system, this is what this is saying, the world system... And when I say the world system, what we think of is that our normal way of life, what we normally do, our ways, our customs, the things that we go about day to day. That's, we're in this system, but the world system that we are in and that we're not always aware of, that is acting to dampen our comprehension of what truth is. It's like it tries to veil God to us. And even though there is evidence of him all around us, our unconcerned complacency, numbness, if you like, towards God, still carries on. And because of that, God's wrath is being displayed. Now, his wrath is not being displayed in a wagging finger and him saying like, right, you're going to get a, a, a good clout around the head or something awful like that. His wrath is displayed in the fact that God says, like, if that's the way that you insist upon going, I'll let you carry on. That's doesn't seem much wrathfulness about that. But the trouble is, if we're going in the wrong way and we're just being allowed to continue in that way, wow, that's very, very serious. But Paul goes on to remind us that this is going to lead us to a terrible end. Romans 2 verse 5, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin... You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The day of God's judgment against sin is coming. It has not yet come. It is coming. We may well want to ignore it. We might even pretend it's just a myth and we don't want to have anything to do with it. But that is not going to prevent its arrival. There is a judgment that is yet to come. And Paul clarifies the position of all humanity in Romans 3 verse 23, for he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They've fallen short of God's standard, of the way that God says things should be. We have fallen short of it. Now, having painted that harsh picture, and it is a harsh picture, and it is a sobering picture of where we're all at, Paul then goes on to explain what has happened for us, or if we've accepted Jesus, even what has happened to us. So let me just start again at Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, of course, having just said that scripture and shared that with you, there's a classic example of reading it. Oh, my goodness. As soon as I start to read this, it's great, but it's difficult to absorb. It's difficult to get into. I don't know whether you actually do ever read through the small print on anything. Like if you get a credit card, you sometimes get the terms and conditions of the credit card, or your bank sends you through an update of their terms and conditions. I can freely confess I don't read those things. Um, I probably should. We probably all should. Well, and that's why it's being given to us. But why don't you read it? Because you start reading it, and you think like, oh, yeah, it's just too much. So you flick over. And there's a sense in which this is what happens with Romans. You want to understand what's behind it, but something, well, it seems a little bit too much. So I just give a quick summary of what those scriptures that we've just read. He, Paul is saying, we've basically, we've disobeyed God, we've rejected him, and even thought or said that he doesn't exist. And yet, all of creation around us is literally demonstrating the signs of his reality. But you know what? We are so used to our ways of life and we have this desire, no, not necessarily desire, we just seem to carry on in a way. And it causes God to turn around and just say, well, okay, if that's the way you want it, you carry on in that way. Despite the fact that that end of that way is destruction, is certain destruction. So judgment is going to be brought against every human being. Why? Because every human being has sinned and consistently failed to keep to God's standards of behavior. And therefore, we are all pronounced as guilty before God. And he declares that the punishment that we deserve is an eternal punishment and it is the only right punishment because of the behavior that we have done. Is there nothing that we can do? Well, in one sense, we've done enough already. Because of our sin. But the answer Paul clearly gives is no, there is nothing that we can do to get out of this. But then Paul takes us from hopelessness to the glorious hope that we have in what God has done for us. But God, acting out of his sheer love for man, has acted to rescue everyone from this predicament. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to buy back everybody from their certain destruction. You're headed for destruction. Jesus has come to rescue you and to take you away from that destruction. Jesus came to earth as a human. He lived a perfect life before God. And so he was declared as sinless. And he offered his life as a sacrifice to God to atone for the sin of all humanity of all time. Now, I've fallen into the, not the trap, but I've fallen into the right word, to atone. What does it mean to atone? It means to fully make amends for, to make up for all the deficiencies or errors that have been committed. He came to make up for all of the errors, the sins, the deficiencies of humanity. He came to make up for them all. All of all time. That is what Jesus has done. And we can access that atonement. We can access that work for making up our deficiencies that Jesus has provided. 
by believing in Jesus and having faith in him. That's the message that Paul is trying to put on repeat to everybody. And he continues to repeat that message, even now, as I finally got to the point where we're coming into Romans chapter 5. He's repeating it again. Last week we looked at uh, the first couple of verses, Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We were God's enemies. We were God's enemies, but now we are God's friends. We have been made right before God solely because of what Jesus has done. Paul's saying this, and he's going on again to recap the story as he goes on further in Romans chapter 5. So let me read Romans 5 verses 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's because God loves you. That he acted to save you. Let me repeat that. It's because he loves you and me that he acted to save you and to save me. And I can always say it another way if you are sincerely able to say, I am saved, in other words, you're sincerely able to say, I have received what Jesus has done for me, you are saying, I'm saved. That proves that God loves you because he has acted in your life to save you. God is for you, not against you. And notice the underlining that Paul makes, when you were still powerless. You see, he's repeating himself. Have you got the message? You were powerless. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. There was nothing you could do. I've seen Elf so many times. I am actually saying, when the narwhal comes up, I'm saying the same words because I've seen it. Paul is trying to get the message of salvation, the full message, why you need it, what has happened. He's trying to get it into you. When you were still powerless, when you couldn't do anything else, God has moved in your life. When you were facing eternal judgment, that was absolutely correct for you because of what you had done, because of the way you hadn't followed God's ways. When you were in that position and you were lost in that position, Jesus has come for you to save you, to save me. God showed his love. God shows that he really cares by coming and saving us. And dying for us. And Paul continues his line of repeating. Romans 5 verses 9 to 11. Don't worry about loads of language. We're going to unwrap it. Since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies. We were still. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. 
How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's pretty intense, I know, that wording. So here's my translation. We have been given right standing before God by the blood. That is, and when they say by the blood, they're talking about the fact that Jesus has died. The life has come out of his blood. He's shed his blood. So we are given right standing before God by the blood. That is to say the death of Jesus. And therefore we are saved from God's eternal punishment that we were rightly facing. And think on this. If Jesus died for us while we were still enemies of God, now that we have been brought back into full relationship with God, how much more shall we be saved through his life. Remember, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again and is alive now and is able to help you and me now. He's able to help us. So we want to publicly declare it's only because of Jesus that we have been brought back into right relationship with God. Now, it's only when we get to heaven that I can talk to Paul and say, why didn't you put it in more simple language? And he said, well, I wanted to be accurate in what I was saying. But that hopefully gives us a bit of understanding. So Paul has taken the time to explain this horrific problem of human sin and yet this wonderful provision of Jesus Christ. And he ends up this chapter 5 by contrasting two groups of people that can be found in these two groups. One group belongs to death and the other group belongs to life. Paul shows how that death came through Adam, and how life comes through Jesus Christ. So firstly, death through Adam. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. What Paul is saying is, Adam... That's the very first man to be created, the first one who fell into sin with his wife Eve. Adam was the door through which sin entered the world. And sin was the door through which death entered humanity. Adam's disobedience opened the doorway for sin to come into the world, but because everyone sinned, the doorway to all humanity was opened for death, spiritual and physical, to come in. And that's the bad news bit. That's the bit we understand. That's the bit about death. That's how it came into humanity. But the gift that God gives is not like the trespass, is the word that Paul uses. And trespass is a word, if you don't understand it, it's talking about sin. But when you have a line and you're told to keep this side of the line... If you go over the line, you are trespassing. That's what it says. So when it talks of trespass in the Bible, God is saying like, this is the line that I want you to keep to. Do not commit adultery. So that's nice. As long as I stay on this side of the line, I'm not committing adultery. But if I did commit adultery, I've stepped over that line. I have trespassed. That's what that word means. But the gift is not like the sin, if you like. The gift is completely different. Well, it's completely different, but this is what Paul is trying to say. It's completely different, and I'm going to explain that. But what he's trying to say is, but there is a similarity. Well, what similarity? 
Well, the similarity is this. As in sin came through how many people? It came through one man. Ah, one man. So life comes through one man. But whereas it was sin through Adam, life comes through the one man, Jesus Christ. So let's, if you've got that clear in your minds, then it's going to make things very easy. The gift is different because it comes through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Romans 5.16 Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. See, Paul is trying to, can you understand this? We had Adam and he's the guy, he's the gateway which sin came through. And you know what that sin, it affected men and everybody sinned. And therefore everybody is affected and death has come because of sin. And therefore everybody is corrupted with this. It's almost like we've been covered with this horrible goo. And how are we going to get away from it? And it only, there's this one man, Jesus. One man, Jesus. He's nothing like the Adam. He has come and yet he's alive and he's bringing life. And he has the power to bring life to every single person who has been covered by that goo. He has been able to come and to bring everybody out of unrighteousness into righteousness out of a sinful behavior into a life that is the life that God wants us to lead. So, it's so there are so many technical words. It's difficult sometimes to get beyond that. Paul was a technical person, a legal person. He had that legal mindset. He is one of those guys that would write those documents that we don't really want to read because they're too complex. And yet at the same time, he's giving us all the information. He's giving us all the legal terms. He's giving us all the understanding so that we might really know how wonderful the gift is that we have been given. That God loves us. That God is for us. That God wants to set us free from the bondage of our sins. That he, Jesus, has come to give life to us so that we might live for him. Final verse, or not quite the final verse, but nearly there. Romans 5.17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? Paul, is this scripture is turning... One man, Adam, brought us all into sin. But you know what? If we can go across and receive the gift that God freely wants to give to us, the provision of grace, that which we do not deserve, the gift of being made right before God's sight. Again, we don't deserve it, but that's what we're being given. If we're prepared to go to Jesus for those things, if we're prepared to go to him and to humble ourselves and to say, I need it. If we're prepared to go to him, he gives us the abundance of those things. 
And that will enable us to reign in life, to overcome in life, to be more than conquerors in life through what Jesus can do. That is what Paul is saying. I've got to learn, we have got to learn in our lives how to go and receive this abundant provision. It's like it's there. It's on offer. But so often we think like, oh, I can't, I shouldn't, I'm not good enough. Oh no, not now, this is not right. Perhaps I won't trouble God. I'll try it on my, or more often, I'll try it in my own strength first because I don't want to bother him too much. That's so often what we do. And yet what Paul is saying is, listen folks, we've got a lesson to learn here. We need to learn to go to God quickly. We need to go to God humbly. We need to go to him saying, we need you. We need you. Will you help me now? Because you have got an abundance of grace. And you are the only one who can give me the right standing that I need before you. We keep using our own strength and that really ends us up in a place of frustration. Oh, I've done it again. I've fallen again. God hates me. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. There have been various things that are happening in our house, and, and, and some of you know that my granddaughter has a few challenges. And when they come up, they're, they're difficult. But, but I see her, her mum and dad, obviously grandma and granddad too, but I see her mum and dad continually pursuing love over her life. Does she deserve it? Not always. <laughs> not in those circumstances. But it's not about what she deserves. She deserves to be loved and she is being loved. And God loves us. Do we deserve it? No, <laughs> not always. There are those times, I've done a great job. And rightly so, and God's proud of you. And there are those times when you think, like, I don't even want my face to be seen. I have, you know, like, God... You crouch away. Hey, lift your head up, says God. I love you. I care for you. You are mine. I paid a great price for you. He is for us. So what is it in our heads that says, really? Can that be true? What is that resistance? Whatever that resistance is, it's a work of the system of darkness and it's designed to try to keep us away from God. We have to turn around to it and say, I'm not having any of this. Why? Because Jesus came to pay the price for your life, to bring you out of darkness and to bring you into light. That's what Paul says. Paul wants us to reign in life. He wants us to be those that are overcomers in life. He wants us to be those who stand up firm in life. Despite the stuff that's coming against us, doesn't mean to say life's going to be perfect. Far from it. He's not talking about the perfection of what we're walking in or the perfection of what we're doing. He's talking about the fact that we have hearts that bring a smile out because you know what? He is worthy of praise because he is the life giver. He's brought me out of dark. I have a certain hope that even though things are so dark here, I am going to be with Jesus forever. I'm going to be with him where there is no sorrow or pain. In that place, there is perfection. In that place. But here, no. Because there is sin and corruption in the world. And you know what Paul, and I'll finish with this. Paul is, is trying to get this across to people. He has said of himself, 
And this is a bit later on, I know, in Romans. Romans 7. He says, uh, Romans 7, verses 18 to 20. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Listen to what Paul is saying. The guy who's writing this letter is now saying, this is what goes on in my own life. So perhaps we can see ourselves in this. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me. That does it. In other words, Paul, Paul has changed his mindset. He wants to live God's way, but he notices every now and again, for goodness sake, where did that come from? Why do I keep falling into that? Because he's seeing that all of us are carrying the things of God, but we're also carrying the flesh, and there's a battle. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, 24 to 25, oh, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, he's coming to God and saying, I need that provision of grace. I need that righteousness. I'm going to rely upon what you have done. I'm going to come to you and ask you for what only you can give me. I'm going to come and receive that from you because you're the only one who can help to change my mindsets. You're the only one who can lead me in righteousness. You're the only one who can make me more than a conqueror. Paul is taking hold of the abundant provision of God's grace for his life and seeking to walk in it. And finally, just, and we're probably coming to this next week, but just in case you thought that Paul is saying, well, it doesn't matter how you live, he is not saying. Because the very first two verses of Romans chapter 6 say this. Well then, and he's asking the question, should we keep sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, he says. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So it's not that we just, hey, I don't care what I do. I can do anything I want. It's not saying that. We want to live God's way. What we're saying is, Lord, every time I see something that I know you don't like, I need to keep coming back to you because you're the only one who can give me the strength to overcome. You're the only one who can change my desires. You're the only one who can help me through these situations. But praise you, Lord, you have sufficient grace for me. You have sufficient grace. I haven't fallen so far that I can't return. You have sufficient grace to lift me up to make me right and to bring me back into relationship with you. I want to ask you here this morning, if you received Jesus as your Lord, if you've never received Jesus Christ, you know, this morning, this is the beginning of this Christmas time. It's an opportunity for you to come and receive the great news that Jesus has come for you to set you free. But you know what? It's not just about have you ever received Jesus? I don't know where you're living. Are you living in a sense in which you feel like you've fallen, you're not good enough? You've, yes, you've asked Jesus into your life. You've asked him into your life. You made that. But are you living in a place where you're saying, I can do it, or rather you know you can't do it. Are you living in that place where you come to the end of yourself and you say, Jesus, unless you help me. Are you reaching out to Jesus? for what only he can do in your life? Or are you still living in the pride of your own 
abilities. And I'm looking at you, but this is, am I still living in the pride of my own abilities? The answer is yes, too often. Let's just stand up. Let me just pray over us. Let's lift up our hands and say, Lord, Lord, we want to receive your abundant provision of grace and the gift of your righteousness upon our lives this morning afresh. In the name of Jesus, Lord, look at every heart, Father. You hear those hearts that are crying out to you, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my shortcomings. Forgive me, Lord, that I have pushed you away. Forgive me, Lord, that I have ignored you. Help me, Lord. Help me to rise up. You are my righteousness. You are my salvation. You are my only hope. Lord, will you hear those cries of our hearts? And will you send your Holy Spirit upon us to break the chains that the enemy wants to put over our minds, to break those wrong patterns of thinking that you may come and that we may receive your abundant grace, Lord, and that provision of righteousness that you have given to us, that we may reign in life, Lord. We want to be those who reign in life. So we're asking you, Lord, let the reign of your Holy Spirit come upon us that we may truly reign in life with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.